No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. I'm Darren, and I'm one of the pastors here at Focus 314, and I can tell you that, that I'm just so excited to be able to spend this Easter Sunday with my church family. I'm so excited to be able to spend this Easter Sunday celebrating with each and every single one of you. I'm excited to be able to spend this Sunday on a day with somebody who might be doubting or might be skeptical about who Jesus is. I want you to know that this is the place that we are a kind of church that we have open arms and that you are welcome here. Because I can tell you that if you are doubting, if you are skeptical, maybe you have been hurt or you look at the world and you wonder, is there truly a God? Is there truly a Jesus? That this is the kind of place for you because we've all been there before. I know that I've been there before. And I wanna be able to tell you that, that we've all been on a path of searching. And so I'm excited to be able to tell you that this is the kind of place for you on an Easter Sunday like this. Today, I'm going to be sharing a message with you called All or Nothing. Anybody, anybody familiar with the All or Nothing proposition? Anybody familiar with that? Right? Like, anybody in here an All or Nothing kind of person? Right? Anybody married to an All or Nothing kind of person? Well, I got a little bit more response on that one. Some of y'all, I'm just, we'll do some counseling later on, all right? You know, uh, but we understand, like, all or nothing at times. There's, like, we get it. Like, anybody ever been at home? Uh, you're, you're sitting down after a long day. You're, you're, you're in your chair, uh, and you grab the remote control, and you push the button, and then nothing happens. Anybody been there before? 
And the batteries have run out in the remote control. So what's the first thing that you do? You, you open up the remote control and you turn the batteries around. I'm getting one more push out of this thing, right? You know what I'm talking about, you know? But, but then the batteries are gone. They're all gone. There's no more twists that are going to get there anymore. And, and so you begin to search around the house for an extra AA or AAA battery. You got none in the house, so you got to go to the store. You only need two of them to get that remote control working, but you go get a package of batteries. You can't rip that package open and just take the two that you want. It's all or nothing. You gotta, you gotta buy the entire pack, right? Especially if you go to Costco, then you're walking home with 200 of them. I got batteries for the rest of my life up in here. You go to Costco and you wanna be able to get a bag of chips. You don't just get one bag of chips, you gotta buy a box full of 42 of them, right? It's all or nothing when it comes to that. They even says on there, like, not for individual sale. It's all or nothing. And I can think of no better proposition or specific place that it's all or nothing than with Jesus. With Jesus, it's an all or nothing proposition. We're not talking about debating the, the teachings of Jesus we're not saying, like, did, did he walk this earth? When it comes to Jesus, everything revolves around one specific moment, and that moment is called the resurrection. That moment where we celebrated just Friday, where he hung upon a cross and he died. And then he was taken down from that cross. He was placed inside of a borrowed tomb and and after three days, the way that the Jewish calendar counts days, after three days, the people went to that tomb and it was empty. And they experienced the resurrected Savior. It's all or nothing. It comes down to that moment. In fact, Paul, he began to teach that exact same thing, all or nothing, to a church. And that church was located in a city called Corinth. And he wrote this letter to that church. And he was talking specifically about the all or nothing proposition of the resurrection of Jesus in chapter 15 starting in verse 3 he says this he said I passed on to you what is most important somebody say important what is most important and how many of you know that when it says important you got to pay attention a little bit right usually you see usually you see important like in big huge red letters on a label you know and the only thing that you read is just a big red letter is important because it gets lost for us but I can tell you that whenever you see that in scripture you might want to pay attention I passed on what is most important and what had also been passed on to me. And what is that? Christ died for our sins. I want you to know today, Christ died for your sins. Whether you believe it or not, I want you to hear that Christ died for your sins today. But he didn't just stop there. It, just as scripture said, and then he was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture has said, just as I has, have explained, just what, what I have read in Scripture and what has been taught to me, I have passed on to you. It is all about the resurrection of Jesus. That is what we celebrate on Easter, an empty tomb. And when it comes to Jesus, it's all or nothing. And so really the question that we should ask ourselves is when it comes to Jesus, we got to do something with him. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Is it true or is it a lie? Is that thing that people talk about, this thing that you're talking about right now, this, this resurrection, did, did that really happen? Is it true 
or is it a lie? It's a question that we wrestle with right now. In the day and age that we live in, it's something that we ponder. It's the same thing that people were pondering even at that moment. Resurrection? Hold up. Three days in a tomb? I've never seen that before. Anybody seen that before? I've never even seen a tomb before, let alone an empty one. You know what I'm saying? You got to go someplace else. We don't have tombs around here very often. Is this true or is it a lie? And sometimes we try to, we try to explain it away, don't we? Okay. I've heard this story. I've, I've grown up in America. You know, we're kind of a Christian nation. We have Christian heritage at least. And I've heard this story before. But it doesn't necessarily make sense to a lot of people. And so, and so we, try to, we try to explain it away. We try to figure this thing out. So maybe for some of us, that this idea of a resurrection and what we see in Scripture, maybe we think, you know what? This is just, it's meant to be allegorical. It's meant to be taken, not, not literally, like he didn't, he didn't, his body didn't raise from the dead. Maybe what Scripture was talking about was his spirit. Right? Like his spirit came alive, like his body was dead, but his spirit came alive. And we can, we can still experience his spirit today. That makes a little bit of sense, right? Perhaps that's what it was. But there's a problem with that. There, there's a problem with taking it just in that, that sense. And the problem is this thing called the empty tomb. There, there was an empty tomb the stone was rolled away, and there's nobody and no body in the tomb. How can it be taken allegorically if, if there's this empty tomb? So that doesn't, that doesn't really make sense to us on that one. Or perhaps people have even suggested he never really died in the first place. He didn't, he didn't really die in the first place. I mean, like, read the story He's arrested, uh, and then he's, he's like beaten. He's beaten so bad, like with this, this whip. It's called the cat of nine tails, and he's taking 39 lashes on it because they, they stopped at 39 because at 40, most people would die. So, so they stopped there, and then they took these, uh, this crown of thorns, and you all have seen the picture before, like jammed on his head, and his blood coming down. And I mean, he's nailed onto this, this cross. He's like he's a, a spear into his side. I mean, like... That he's losing a lot of blood, right? He's losing a lot of blood. And so it's possible that, that he just, like he fell into a coma. Like maybe, perhaps, he just fell into a coma. And I mean, there weren't, like I know that those Roman soldiers were there, but they, they didn't have the training that we do today. And so, so maybe they just got it wrong. Maybe, like maybe they just got it, maybe he just, he just didn't die in the first place. And so he came back because he didn't die in the first place. And so just perhaps after three days of sitting in this cold, dark tomb, that he just perked right up. <laughs> right? Like, maybe that's what happened. Maybe, maybe that, like, without any medical attention or, or, or a, a V8 or anything like that, that all of a sudden, like, he had the strength to be able to get rid of 100 pounds of, of, of linen, spices, and all that kind of stuff. And then he had the strength to be able to roll away this, this big, huge stone in front of the tomb. And he just, 
He felt great after, after just a little bit of rest. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But there's a problem with that too. Because when Jesus came back, he came back as an overcomer. Yeah. See, see, think about this. Perhaps he didn't die. He's been beaten. He's been stabbed. He's been nailed to a cross, but he didn't die. And so he was able to, to get to a place where he had enough strength to be able to get up and roll the stone away and then walk and, and see his disciples. How do you think he might have looked to them? I think he might have still been a little beaten up, right? He might have had a little bit of blood still on him. I don't believe that he would have looked like an overcomer. He, they, he wouldn't have looked like somebody who they were willing to lay their life down for. Because many of them died a martyr's death in his name. He would have come, like if I would have seen somebody like that who'd just been through that much torture coming after me after three days, I might think, that, hey man, you need to go see a doctor. You need, you need serious medical attention right now. There might be an infection that is, is setting in, you know? He came back as an overcomer, as a mighty king, somebody who people were willing to lay their life down for. I don't think, I don't think that he was in a position where he didn't die and then come back in that kind of manner. Or perhaps, perhaps the resurrection happened and that empty tomb is there because they just went to the wrong tomb. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like I said, I don't go to graveyards very often and see tombs very often, and they might all look the same, right? And, and we know that he went to this tomb that wasn't his tomb in the first place. It was a borrowed tomb from this guy by the name of, of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. So, so maybe these, these women that were going uh, to the tomb that Sunday morning, maybe they just went to the wrong tomb. They didn't go to Joseph's tomb. They went to Broseph's tomb, Right? <laughs> They just got it wrong. And I mean, they're like, hey, let's just be honest. Like, women aren't the greatest with directions, are they? <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Mike, I'm sorry, Robin. Love women around here. I told the 8 o'clock I wasn't going to say it at 9.30. I'm not going to say it at 11. People are going to get mad at me. That's, what... <laughs> That's just mean. I can't say it with a straight face. This is funny. But maybe they did. Not just them. It wasn't just the women in the morning, but, but, but when they, they came and told the disciples, like they went rushing and told the disciples, hey, Jesus, the tomb's empty. And then they went running, and then they got it wrong too. I, I'm not sure that would have happened because I believe that the problem with this one is that there's just too many witnesses to an empty tomb. There's, there's too many people who would say, wait a second, we got the wrong one. At some point, somebody would have, even if it wasn't the followers of Jesus, who desperately wanted to, to believe that, don't you think that the enemies of Jesus would have said at some point, hey, why don't we go check this out ourselves? At some point, an enemy of Jesus would have been like, why don't we go make sure that that tomb really, ha ha, you guys were wrong. That didn't happen either. There's just too many witnesses for that to be a possibility. Or perhaps, perhaps the resurrection didn't happen 
Because that's just simply impossible. That's just impossible. Right? I, we, live, we live in a physical world where we, I don't know about y'all, but I want to see some empirical evidence. And having, having a body raised up from the dead after three, come on now. That's just impossible. And it's probably the easiest and the simplest way to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. It's just impossible. It didn't happen. I want you to know that today we live in a world that teaches us that, don't we? You, you, you've, sat in, you've sat in a classroom. You've gone and talked to some people, and they just think, hey, that, that didn't happen. There's no possible way that that happened. This belief system that you have, come on now. That didn't happen. There's, there's no resurrection because there is no God. We know better. Like at some point in human history, we needed to have this idea of a God because people didn't have the same moral code that we do today. But we've evolved past that. We've evolved past the point where we need to trust in a God. So let's just go ahead and call it what it is. That resurrection thing, that's just simply impossible. And, and some of you, you, you think, well, you know what? I, I, I love Jesus, and I'm excited for what he's doing inside of my life. But then the first thing you did is you went to a philosophy 101 class, and it messed you up really bad. And you're like, I, I don't know what to believe right now. Like, man, I, I, I was excited about Jesus, but now I'm not sure. And then they started talking to me about like these things, the crusades and inquisitions. And now I feel all bad about, I don't know what to do with all of this. That, that exact same thing that you are experiencing is what the church in Corinth was experiencing as well. They got excited about this thing. Hey, you, hey, Jesus resurrected for our sins? And they begin to believe in him. But then they started to tell people. And where they thought that they might get excited, people began to mock them. People began to, to tell them there's no possible way that that happened. And so Paul encouraged them just the exact same way here, continuing in verse 15. It says, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Without the resurrection of Jesus, all of this, this church thing that we do, I'm gonna tell you, without the resurrection, it's all a sham. It's all a sham. It's completely and utterly useless without the resurrection. It is an all or nothing proposition when it comes to the resurrection. Continue on. And we apostles would all be lying about God. I'd be a pastor up here. I'd be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then, then your faith is useless again, and you are still guilty of all of your sins. You don't have any hope of forgiveness. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ, all the people who have gone on before you, ancestors, people that you love, they're all lost. No hope in that. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anybody else. It's all about 
the resurrection. And it's a simple way to just be able to say, that's impossible. That didn't happen. And discard it and not think through the ramifications of that conclusion. Because there are serious ramifications when it comes to the conclusion that there is no God, that there is no resurrection, and it's just simply impossible. So today what I want to ask you to do is think through the serious ramifications of what that conclusion looks like. What does a life without God look like for you? The first thing, there is no more hope. There is no more hope that you have. A life without God gets rid of any hope that you have. It gets rid of any hope that you have when, when you've lost somebody. Well, they're just, they're here today, gone tomorrow. That's all there is to it. They're gone. So just let it go. There's no more hope. There's no hope that you have when you're going through a difficult situation because there's nobody there to guide you. There's nobody there to help you through it. There is no more hope. A life without God. That sound very nice. Life without God, you, you don't have any hope. You also, there's no more meaning in this world. There's no more meaning to anything that we have here in this world. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust, it's all going to fade away. So what's the point? There is none. The, the wealthiest person that we see in Scripture is a, is a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon was, was so wealthy that people would travel to go see his great wealth. He had his own tourist industry. That's powerful, right? And he himself, who is gaining all of the things that this world has to offer, he began to go down a path where he wanted to see if what this world has to offer would offer him any meaning. He went, after, he went after things of this world to eat, drink, uh, women, uh, wealth, all of those things. And he wrote an entire book about it called Ecclesiastes. And over and over and over again, he said that everything that this world has to offer is meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. Solomon wasn't the only one who came to that conclusion. There's an author by the name of Leo Tolstoy who, who wrote War and Peace, and, and he had this to say. He said, my question, which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, and it was this. What will come of what I'm doing today or tomorrow? What, what's going to come of my life? What, what's going to come of everything that I'm doing? What will come of my whole life? Why, why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. I wish I said thus more. Anybody wish they said that more? I do. Make me sound smart. Is there any meaning in my life? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Without God, the answer is no. We live in a world that is fading away. We live in a world, and you're like, well, I'm trying, I'm trying to not make it fade away. I am trying to not have the melting of, a, I am doing everything I can to help reverse 
global warming. I carpool all the time. I drive a Prius. I got even rid of my Prius, and now I have a, a, a Tesla or some. No, I have a Nissan Leaf because I'm not going to spend that much money. I'm doing everything that I can. I do not drink any beverages. I don't drink any beverages out of straws anymore because straws. They're evil unless it's a paper straw. I don't care how it feels. I'm doing my part. I'm not going to take any, I'm not putting any, any, uh, any plastic bags anymore. I don't have plastic bags. I have reusable grocery bags. Thank you very much. I have meaning in this world and I'm doing everything that I can to help this planet that is revolving around this sun, which is a star, isn't it? And what happens to every star? They fade away. Maybe you're doing everything that you can, and great job for you. So thankful for you. But maybe what you do, add another million years, it's still going to fade away. Nothing has meaning that will not be destroyed in a life without God, which is why Paul even said to the people living that way at that moment, he quoted one of their own philosophers, and he said this, if there is no resurrection, let's go ahead and feast and drink. Let's go ahead and eat, drink, for tomorrow we're going to die. There's no meaning in this world, so go ahead and just do whatever you want. Why strive for anything? Why push for anything? None of it has any meaning. A life without God has no meaning whatsoever. A life without God has no hope. A life without God has no meaning. And a life without God, there is no you. Let's be honest about this. Think about it. There's no you. What defines you? These thoughts and emotions that you have. This body that you have. If we live in a world without God, then we just live in an empirical evidence world that is simply biological. And so the only thing that we have that would define ourselves is flesh and bone. It's just the body. That's all there is to it. There is nothing more to you than just the body that you see. So all of those thoughts and those emotions that you are having... They don't mean anything, and they are nothing, because you are simply who this is. You go to the doctor, you got something that's going wrong, and they begin to treat you, and the doctor says, your body is accepting the treatment very well. No, it doesn't. Not your body, you just simply are a body, if there's no God. If there's no God, that's all there is to it. If there's no God in this world, there's no hope, there's no meaning, there's no you, and all of those desires that you have inside of you, they don't make any sense at all. Something about humanity is that when we are all laying our head down at night, there's something inside of us that aches for more. There's something inside of us that we have a thought process that we we want more than what this world has to offer. We long for things like forgiveness. We long for things like joy and peace. And those are things that, if there is no God, make no sense at all. Because it's just trying to bring comfort to a body. And so all of these things that we all are experiencing, they mean nothing without God. How about this one? Huge topic in the world today. This idea and this desire for justice in the world. Yeah. Right? We, we fight for justice. We want to 
We want to root for the, the underdog. They're, they're, life should be fair. We need to be able to get rid of bullying. We need to be able to help people out. We need to be able to help those who can't help themselves. We should have, we should have universal health care for everybody. It should be free for all. We should be in a place where we see justice for everybody should be treated the same, right? If there's, but if there's no God, justice doesn't make any sense. Because we should live in a world that it's survival of the fittest, right? Like that's Darwinianism at its finest. Survival of the fittest. Only the strong survive. There shouldn't be justice. We should be praying on the weak. We should be saying, all right, good. Another one bites the dust. Fantastic. I will survive. That's the world that it should look like without God. There shouldn't be justice. We should be thinning out the herd. Why would we spend value upon somebody who doesn't bring us value? That's a life without God. That's what it should look like. If you want to say that it's impossible and the resurrection didn't happen because there is no God and we have evolved past it, then this is what our world should look like. No hope, no meaning, no you, no desires. None of it makes any sense. But what if the resurrection is true? And what if God does exist? What does life look like then? What, is, what does life look like with God? Without God, there's no hope. But with God, the thing that I get to tell you today is hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. That, that he gives us all hope, that there is a hope for a better tomorrow, that there is hope for our eternity, that when, when somebody that we love that has believed in Jesus has passed along, that there is hope that we get to be able to see them for eternity, that we get to be able to have an eternal hope, that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus today. A life with God brings us hope, and a life with God brings us meaning. It gives us purpose. Because everything that I'm doing right now isn't working just for today, it's working for eternity. And so everything that I do has meaning and everything that I do has purpose. I'm trying to pour into my children because scripture says raise them in the ways of the Lord and they will not depart from him. I want to be able to give God my best at every work that I do because it says that I should do that with every single toil of my hand that I'm doing it to God. Because I'm building something not just for today, but for eternity. And so everything that I do has meaning. And everything that I do has purpose. That's a life with God. He has given us hope. He has given us meaning. And you, oh, you will always be you. You will always be you. Scripture says that before you were formed in your mother's womb, that that God knew you. Scripture says that that when all things pass away, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and that we're going to be able to serve God with a new body because because you're not just a body, that you are you and God has created you fearfully and wonderfully and it doesn't matter what body that you inhabit, that you're going to just be able to inhabit his praises. That's what God brings us. That's what the resurrection brings us. It brings us hope. It brings us meaning and purpose. It brings us who we are and our identity in Christ. And most importantly, 
is that there is an answer for every single one of our desires, that they begin to make sense because our spirit remembers what life was like before the fall of man. That that our spirit is crying out to that history that we want to be able to be with God, experiencing joy. You want to be able to have joy? His name is Jesus. You want to be able to live in a life that is full of peace? His name is Jesus. You want to be able to live a life that you have forgiveness of all of those things that you have done? His name is Jesus. And that's a life that we have with God. We all want to be able to have happiness, love, acceptance. That's what happened at the resurrection. And that's a life with God. What do you say? Okay. Well, of course, Darren, I see this list that you got on there. And who wouldn't choose this one? Right? Like, of course. I don't want to choose the first one. No hope. No, I don't want to. No meaning. No thank you. You, have, you took away my identity. Thanks a lot for that one, right? Of course, we would all look at this. Here's what I want you to know today. I'm not, I'm not presenting to you a better option. I'm not... I'm not asking you to follow Jesus just simply because he's a better option. I'm asking you to follow Jesus today because the resurrection, it is true. The resurrection happened. And I could go into all the the historical evidence that points to that, but I'm going to tell you, do the research on your own. Do the research on your own, and you're going to be able to find that there is more historical evidence to the resurrection of Jesus than even knowing who the emperor was at that time. There's more historical evidence and closer documentation of what was happening at that time than any other pieces that we have. I'm telling you today to believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it's true. It's true. And then I get to be able to have the joy to say this to you today. That I'm a witness to that as well. Because I've lived my life without God before. Praise God, I'm living my life with him now. And I can tell you, it's true. And it absolutely 100% is the better option for your life. Don't discount. Don't discount the resurrection. It's all or nothing when it comes to Jesus.